Romans chapter 15, verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, and the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Lyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on the fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for this text. We ask that you would help us now. In Christ's good name, amen. This is one of those sections that, that, that as Romans has been unfolding, in the beginning, the first chapter, we, we get a little bit of Paul's heart, his passion, his, he introduces himself. Then about in Romans 119, through most of the book, he's, he's kind of outside of things. He's explaining doctrine and, and truth about God. There's a little window into his heart and his struggle at the end of Romans 7. And then as we enter Romans chapter 15, we get more insight to Paul. And this section, in large part, is Paul laying out his travel plans to these believers in Rome. He's never met them. We know that he wants to go there. He has a strong desire to see them. In this section, we Paul continues to show that he's a servant to Christ first and foremost. And then... We see his pioneer spirit that he really wants to go where where Christ hasn't been known. He, he doesn't want to go to other places where the church is established. And in the first verse here, in verse 17, he, he begins, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. He explains this boasting that he has in the next few verses. But as I think about this verse and think about Paul from a from today, Valley Baptist Church is a Christian who follows Christ. When we examine what do we know about church and how we're to function as Christians, a huge portion of, uh, of the New Testament and, and especially the epistles that, that give instruction to the church were written by Paul. God used this man in an amazing, an amazing way. But to see the humility that he has. He doesn't really want to talk about himself. The thing that he wants to talk about is Christ. The very second word of Romans, does anybody know it? Just a little, not, not, not truly a pop quiz. The second word is slave. He says, Paul writing this, a slave of Christ, literally. His introduction to them is, I am a total slave. This is complete humility, which stands in total contrast to the Paul the Paul pre-Christ. If you turn with me over to Philippians chapter 3. Which is interesting that this is found in here in Philippians. The Bible comes to life as we start piecing together the story. He writes Romans, I believe, from Corinth. He eventually gets to Rome. Free of charge. Uh, Nero paid for his trip. Very sweet of him. Because he was arrested. And so he went to prison in Rome. And so while in Rome, in prison, he writes Philippians. And so we're 
in the letter to Romans going to Philippians that Paul actually writes while there. And there when he writes, after speaking of this great humility of Christ in, in Philippians chapter 2, that's our example, example as Christians, he starts talking about his previous life and those who boast in religion and works and he identifies with them. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 4, Paul says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. He's making a, a case uh, against religion, against works of the flesh. He's made it very clear that you can't save yourself. It's, it's not as if God, you know, say you're a, a pretty good person. And you're way better than me because I have all of this sin in my life. So I need like 80% of God's help. And so I have to get to that 20% mark in order to get me into heaven. Well, you like, well, you're really good and you only need God's help for 10%. I'm not saying this is the case. But Paul's sort of making this case from the flesh. And he said, if there was anybody that would have confidence in the flesh, anybody that thinks that they don't need God's help or anything, I far more. He said, if we want to start playing the religion game, I was the most religious person. He said, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He was, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, he knew the scriptures. You don't have to raise it. Well, you don't have to raise your hand because I know nobody will be able to raise their hand. Anybody here memorize the whole entire Old Testament? I certainly can't raise my hand. Paul could have. Paul was a Pharisee. They had memorized the whole thing. Not only memorized it, but he could teach from memory the various sections. of This guy had a mind. According to the law of Pharisee. Which means that he'd been selected. A very elite group of people qualified Earned that right. And he says, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. If you read through Acts, the very first Christian to be killed, it was at the hands of Paul. That he stood there and was the one in authority. They laid their coats at his feet, showing that he was the one that had the authority to do this. And they killed Stephen. He said, I killed other Christians in my zeal. The next one grips me because I don't think there are very few people that I've encountered. I, I don't, I, maybe one or two in, in the flesh, more through reading, but there are not too many people that I know that would say, you know what? I've lived perfectly and I am without sin. There are people out there. And Paul says, as to righteousness, which is in the law, that means living according to that Old Testament. What does Paul say about himself? I was blameless. I think Paul's greatest revelation on the road to Damascus was suddenly he recognized how holy God was when Jesus appeared to him. And suddenly he's like, oh, I guess I am a sinner. Like his big revelation was that he was not without sin, that he was indeed sinless or, or sinful. And then he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I counted all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them. But manure is the word so that I might gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Beautiful. You go back to Romans verse chapter 15. Paul says, you know, I had everything. If you look at religion, if you look at the works of the flesh, I had attained it. I was perfect. But then I met Christ. And my righteousness is but a filthy rag. It's manure. It's worthless. It was all about his grace. And Paul his whole life referred to himself as a slave of Christ, that this is my master. This is the only one I care about. If you follow his, his thinking in Romans, I mean, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse nine, he, he says that I'm the least of all of the apostles. 
So when he looks at the apostles as people writing the scriptures, he says, you know what? When I look at all of them, I'm on the very bottom. Why would he say that? The other ones didn't kill their brothers and sisters in Christ. He was the only one that had on his like his rap sheet before Christ. One of his sins is I killed a man because he professed Christ as a Messiah. And so when he looks at all the apostles, it's like, how am I lumped with these guys? Then you follow him out. I think it's in Ephesians 3.8 is the next one where he says when he looks at all of the saints, all of those who have given their lives to Christ, he is the least of all of them. Then you keep going to 1 Timothy 1.15, I believe it's where it's at. Then he says, when I look at all the sinners of the world, I'm the worst of all of them. Like, Paul, what's going on, brother? You're like an apostle. You go from the least of all the apostles and the worst of all the saints of all sinners. Are you like backsliding? I don't think that's at all what was happening. The longer he walked with Christ, the greater understanding of how righteous and holy God was or is in light of who Paul is. And understanding his grace coming into, it's like God was just magnified in his, he wanted to reserve worship exclusively to Christ. And so he says, therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. I'm not going to boast anything else. He says, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resting in obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed and the power of the signs and wonders and the power of the spirit. So that this is an important word here. It's, it explains why he said all of that stuff previously. He says, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, there's a lot here and wrestling through this, this week in Trying to take in all that Paul's been saying. Wednesday night we've been studying Acts. And it's been wonderful studying Acts in conjunction with Romans. Because it keeps Paul in perspective, his heart. He says, for I will presume not to presume to speak of, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. He's giving all the credit to God. That anything that's happened is what Christ has done. But he acknowledges that Christ has been doing it through him. And as he ponders what Christ is doing through him, where he ends up in this, this section is the gospel of Christ. It's all about the gospel, which we'll get to in a second. But it was just a couple weeks ago in Acts. If you'll turn with me over to Acts chapter 19. What were some of the things that, that God was doing? In Paul's life, and in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, Paul finds himself in Ephesus, where the temple of Diana was. There was great worship. There all kinds of crazy stuff is happening. Paul goes to this town. He's serving as a tent maker. He's preaching, working. Uh, guys come to help him out. Finally, the guys get there, so he stops tent making. But we read in verse 11 that God was performing extraordinary miracles. Always cracks me up. Because think about a miracle. Is a miracle commonplace? If it's something that's commonplace, it no longer is a miracle. A miracle is something that's out of the ordinary. Extraordinary. It's like all miracles are extraordinary. But, but Luke, as he writes, that this was dip, the, what was happening in Paul's life in Ephesus. We're used to seeing miracles with the apostles. But this, this was even taking it a whole nother notch. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand, hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons and don't don't start thinking Betty Crocker aprons that Paul has like, you know, like it's Thanksgiving, my Super Bowl day, like flour all over it. He was a hardworking tent making man. Think like a like a apron that a guy that changes the, the, the shoes on a horse, dirty, nasty, sweaty, stinky. So he's working. People are snagging his, his, I almost called it something, never mind, a handkerchief thing he blows his nose with. Wipes the sweat off the brow. They're, they're grabbing it. They're taking it to sick people, touching them with it. And those people are being healed. 
it always, I don't, I have a weird sense of humor, but it always, Paul clearly was used by God to do these miraculous things. The purpose of these miraculous things was always to point to the miracle of Christ, which we'll see in the story. We'll actually go back to Romans. In Romans verse 15, verse 18, he says, for I will presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I start thinking, well, what did Christ do through you? Well, man, he he healed people. You keep reading in Romans chapter 19. Kid falls asleep from the third story, dies. Paul goes down there, jumps on him. The kid goes home. They go back. Paul continues preaching the whole rest of the night. You guys think I talk a long time here? We don't have anything on Paul or I don't. And so I think about this. I think, man, well, I'd be like, I'd be tempted to like be talking about all these miracles. And I think about this in comparison to like those that preach like the prosperity gospel and the, the gifts of healing and stuff. The focus is normally on them. Send me money. Come up by your faith. If it doesn't work, your faith was broken. That's not at all how Paul worked. And in and, and Paul's focus, even in this, he thinks that the thing that he wants to thank God for and what God did through him is is not the emphasis of these great miracles because those miracles are nothing. Everybody that's been healed physically ultimately has died with the exception of like Enoch was taken, Jesus taken. I'm missing anybody other than that. Everybody else died. Elijah. I knew I was missing. I feel like that sets of three always work better. But other than that, anybody who's ever been healed of anything has always died. But there ultimately healing happens if you're in Christ, which we get short-sighted on this earth. And so Paul, where he goes with all of this, the things that I want to talk that through me, this is always a difficult, like the longer I'm in ministry and people like Miss Pat, I'm glad she's not here today. I hope she's okay. I don't know. She wasn't here on Wednesday. So I'm going to follow up on Miss Pat, be praying for them. I'm sure she's okay. But she pulls me aside after church and whenever she wants to talk to me, she's got that cane and she's intimidating with it. And she says, I, I, I need to talk with you and Ben. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, am I, did I do something wrong already? She's like, no, I just don't know why everybody didn't clap. And I'm like, well, people kind of clapped that he was coming on staff before. And I'm like, did I do something wrong? And she's like, no, I'm just going to write you a letter and deal with it in a letter. And, and she's like, and I'm like, I'm like, oh no, Pat, like, I really love you. Like, I hope that there's grace. And she's like, no, you did this church. She's like, well, I know God did it through you. And I'm like, ah, like, it's an amazing thing when you walk with God and then you see him use you. And for those of us who know Christ, we know that like sharing Christ with somebody, then suddenly this Bible verse that you have in the, like, apparently it was in your mind somewhere. And then it comes out. It's this overwhelming when you recognize that God has done something through you to impact something. It's it's humbling. He says, I only want to talk about Christ. And he starts talking about the what was Paul called for? He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so as he goes to share the gospel with the Gentiles, the results that he sees the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed and the power of signs and wonders and the power of the spirit. So all of these things, all of these miracles, all of these wonders, everything. So that from Jerusalem and literally in a circle, as far as this word is during this service, give me a terrible time. Lyricium. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So he cares about the gospel. When he looks at all of the miracles, when he looks at everything that God did through him, the reason for all of those things was to validate who Jesus was. And if we can go to the slide, I'm so thankful that technology, you know, it's a, it's a blessing and it can be less than a blessing is my nice way of saying it sometimes. And so I'm glad it's working on a day when I want to show you the map. So at the time of Paul's writing Romans, he found himself in Corinth. There are some that think Ephesus. I really don't think it's a big deal either way. I think there's a lot of evidence that supports Corinth. He's writing the church in Rome, which is over here, who Paul has never met. And as he writes them about his ministry, which he's going to unpack more, he starts with this Jerusalem. So everybody see Jerusalem here? 
So the gospel as it spread, it went north to Antioch, up around, this is Asia during biblical time, but today is modern-day Turkey. And so Paul talks a lot about this area, modern-day Turkey. Then out to, you see that, Illyria? That's that region up there. And this whole section of modern-day Greece. And so he literally, you can leave the picture up. When he, I want to read this here. It says in verse, uh, the middle of verse 19, so that from Jerusalem, roundabout, literally this big circle as far as Lyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And you get this image that the, the gospel had saturated that whole region. It's beautiful. The question, what's the gospel? I'm glad you asked. If you turn with me to the next book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we, we are explained in the clearest terms, what is the gospel? This word that we use in Christian circles that our culture, who are maybe not even from Christian circles, refer to the gospel. We can say, oh, this, is that the gospel on that? Not even speaking about the gospel, but like, oh, this is the gospel on computer or something or other, or whatever it is. Kind of bugs me when they say that, because there's, like, there's one gospel. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast and it's not an if like you can lose it it could be translated since i think the niv does this sense which i think is a better there if you hold fast or since you hold fast to the word which i preach to you unless you believed in vain verses three and four of the gospel somebody says hey what's the gospel just open your bible go to first corinthians chapter 15 verses three through four for i deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Point number one of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was talked about in the Old Testament. This was prophecy. This was something that it was never anything new. For Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. D-E-A, dead. Dead as a doornail. He was dead. There was no question that he was dead. The Romans were professional executors. There was no question, dead. And that he was raised on the third day, there it is again, according to the scriptures. It was prophesied. There was no, in hindsight, it's like, we, we should have known the whole time. And then he says in verse five, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the 12, the apostles. And then he appeared to more than 500 brethren which means that there were likely many more because only the men counted legally so this would have been 500 men plus their families so who knows what that number is most of whom remain until now so when paul wrote this he says he lists 2,000 people or so only some of them have died if you guys question the resurrection you can go to these people and all of these people will line up and verify that they saw the risen christ this one who was killed this one who was buried for three days we saw him after he rose from the dead and then he goes on but some have fallen asleep then he appeared to james then to all the apostles and last of all as to one untimely born he appeared to me also for i'm the least of the apostles Paul says, I saw the risen Lord. For Paul to change teams was huge. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, or to the law, or to the righteousness found in the law blameless, as to the law of Pharisee. He was so zealous about this that he killed those that claimed that Christ was the Messiah. Do you think it's going to be a clever little debate? That he lost that would change him over his whole worldview. The only thing that would turn Paul over was this risen Lord. And he says this here. I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Going back to Romans. So, so the gospel is what he's proclaiming. That Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. So that you might have life in him. Which answers the question. Why, did Paul, why, why was this such a big deal to Paul? Romans 1. 16 for i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of god unto salvation he recognized that the gospel was everything and he gave his life to it as a servant of christ and then he goes on to say in verse 20 of romans chapter 15 and thus i aspired 
to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. We see this pioneer spirit of Paul. Paul was passionate. If, if the church already existed, he didn't, he didn't really want to go there. There were people there. They could do the work. He wanted to go where it hadn't been. And where did this like zeal come from? He quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, I believe is where it is. We're not going to go there. He quotes it from us right here. And so as he says, I don't want to build on another man's foundation. He quotes from Isaiah, who Isaiah the prophet says, they, speaking of the Gentiles, who had no news of him, speaking of the Messiah, they shall see. So the Gentiles that had no, no understanding, no comprehension of the Messiah, they shall suddenly understand who the Messiah is. Many of us fall into this prophecy. I don't think that there might be a Jewish person, possibly. But for those of you that have no Jewishness in your blood, this is us. No news. And they who have not heard shall understand. I love what John Piper writes on this in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And he, it's his message on why the local church should be concerned with world missions. And what he says about Paul concerning this verse is this. He says, in other words, Paul is being driven by a personal commission from the Lord, which has been richly blessed. Now, big word I had to look up, butrist, butrist, which means built or strengthened. So the Lord, which has richly, richly blessed the strengthening and filling with a pro- prophetic vision of hope, he was gripped by the Old Testament purpose of God to bless all the nations of the earth and to be praised by all the peoples to send salvation to the end of the earth and to make Abraham the father of many nations and to be understood in every group in every group where he was not known. And so, in short, what that's saying is that as Paul studied what we call the Old Testament, the scriptures, Paul saw clearly... That God's purpose was always to reach all people, all tribes, all nations. That the gospel was for all. And he was called by God to do this as a pioneer. Now there's a trap for you to think, well, Paul did this. You read great missionary stories, which I'm all for reading great missionary stories. And to feel, well, God called Hudson Taylor to go to China. Certainly, like, maybe I'm called to go to, to China. Well, I don't know what God's called you to. Like, my China is Valley Center. This is, this is my Africa. This is where I ended up. And I, there are lots of people that need the gospel in Valley Center and their surrounding areas, San Marcos, Escondido. Wherever your footprint is, there are people around us. I'm going to follow my thought that you couldn't hear later. I'm talking to myself. He goes on to say, for this reason... So the reason that he's talking about is his passion to saturate the region, the area with the gospel. He'd said from from Jerusalem all the way to Illyria that he's he's fully submersed that region with the gospel of Christ, the good news. And he says, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, to Rome. He desires to, to meet the people in Rome, but there's no need. We already know from the beginning of Romans that they are, they're a solid church. Uh, the, the news of, of who they are and the good work that's happening has spread to the whole world. So Paul would like to see them, would like to meet them. It would be great. But there's really no point for him to go there. But, but there's, he does have a point to get through there, which we'll look at. And he says, I've, I've often been hindered from going because of this, but now... In verse 23, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, he's saying, you know what? It's, uh, the, the gospel's been saturated here. I've wanted to go to you for many years, but now whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by, by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. So now Paul is in... Um, Corinth, right? We've said this before, or I've said it before. Corinth. We'll see that he eventually 
is going to go to Jerusalem. And we'll look at why he had to go to Jerusalem. If I was in Jerusalem and I wanted to get to Spain, I would say, just hop on a boat, Paul, and just take a straight line across there. It's kind of how my mind thinks. But if you, you'll notice that when you hop in an airplane, if you have to get somewhere, you often have to go out of the way to get to another area because you need to get to the hub of the airport so that you can catch the right flight. And so essentially, if Paul wanted to get to, to Spain, Spain was out there. And, and there wasn't a boat that you could catch from Jerusalem to, to Spain. So what you would do is you could get a ride to Rome because all roads lead to Rome. Rome led to the whole world. And so if he could get to Rome, then it would be easy for him to catch a boat. That would be the best place to try to find a ride to Spain. And so he says his whole purpose to visit them, that's a secondary issue. He wants to go to Spain. But he says, but if I'm, if I'm going to go to Spain... Well, it'd be great to see you. I hope to see you in passing. And oh, look at that. I have it highlighted. And to be helped on my way there for, by you. Let me translate this for you. He says, you know what? I got enough money to get, uh, to get the ride to Rome. But when I get there, I'm going to be all out of money. I'm going to go to Spain. But can you guys start collecting money to help fund my trip to get to the outermost part of the world? He, he needs their help. He wants to establish this relationship with him. He wants to enjoy company with them. It's beautiful. But why Spain? I got choked up during the last service and it's happening again. It's even worse with her here. I love her. It's a, it's a, but but the, this section of scripture is, was a, a pivotal point in her parents' life and consequently her life. This is... The, the passage that led Anna's parents and Pastor John, who you'll see tonight, to Spain. My wife grew up in Spain as a missionary kid. And so I always tell people that when I married her, I married Spain. And I have this deep burden for Spain now. Now, when I ask the question, well, why would you want to go to Spain? I think, oh, man, there's like cafe con leche, croquetas, jamón, queso. Oh, it's the food. It's so amazing. Which that's all really good stuff. I mean, I'm not going to underscore. Then there's football. I mean, there's all kinds of bullfighting, which just really didn't really take off in the States. There's, I mean, I love all this stuff. But, you know, we went there a couple years ago. And uh, we were blessed through Ruth's granddaughter, who's a Spaniard, and, you know, she said, hey, I, I have two townhomes that sit empty from September to May. You're welcome to go whenever you want. And I'm like, really? <laughs> did you mean it? She did. And so we went. And so we, we, we spent time there and we saw the church that Anna grew up at and that it's not thriving at all. And, and going to, to breakfast at the rest, well, we went to breakfast, lunch, dinner, the same place all the time. And the same two ladies had been working there the whole time. These Spaniards that we fell in love with. And we recognized that being there, that if we were to invite them to church, there is, there is no church anywhere. Sevilla is the closest healthy church, which is a, a two-hour drive. You know, in the States, we, we have a church. We probably have like five churches. We, sh- we look around at churches. We, we, we have our, like we're looking for a spouse. I want blonde hair, blue eyes. Sunday school, no Sunday school. This translation, this kind of worship, this kind of translation. We have hundreds of churches. In many ways, we become spoiled kids. That it's no longer, how can I contribute to the church? But if I give money to the church, what are they going to give to me? And then that's all about me. And most of the world, it's like, is there another believer within a, a few hundred miles? And this is Paul's heart. Because Spain... If you, you pro, I don't know if you can see the border, but there's a border around the whole area here. That dark border is the line of AD 117, the span of the Roman Empire. The edge of that marked the end of the world. Remember that guy Columbus? What was the crazy thing that he wanted to do? Where did he sail from? Spain. 
What did the critics tell him? That if you go over the horizon, you're going to discover the Niagara Falls and you're going to basically fall off the end of the world. It was the edge of the world. And if you turn with me back to Romans chapter 10, it was where the, this was the country. This is where people who were nobody. But what about them? And in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, he writes, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him, that's Christ, will not be disappointed. I'm quoting from the Old Testament, Isaiah 28. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. And so it's in this letter of Romans that Paul is making the case. I'm going to need help to go. Why? Should you care about me going? Why should you partner with me financially to help me get there? Because if they don't hear about Jesus, they will perish forever without him. I addressed this more when we covered it, but then our, our first, if you're like me, your first recoil is that's not fair. And, and there's a couple points. First, one generation has a responsibility to another, the next generation to share about God. At one point, we all came from Adam and Eve. They all, they knew of God. There was a breakdown. Then at Noah, we see another, the Tower of Babel, this constricting of the population. Then the people of the Tower of Babel were scattered. And so somewhere, one generation forgot or failed to communicate the good news about God to the next generation. There's There's a huge responsibility on us from one generation to the next. There are little kids running around with crayons and walls and making noise and screeching and stuff. Don't say, oh, they're an inconvenience to me. I don't even care if they're not your kids. They're our next generation. Every one of us in this church has an obligation to the next generation. The next thing I see from scripture is that all people are sort of connected. At one point, we all knew about God. But if you're that person that's in the, the, the tribal areas in, in South America somewhere that's, that's now disconnected from the rest of society, the Bible makes it clear, Psalm 19, Paul already made the case, if you'll turn back with me to Romans chapter 1. It just came to me, and of course, I'm not going to find the sound of my notes. I think it's... Larry, you know the verse I'm talking about? (laughs) Okay, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, how Paul starts Romans. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made so that they are without excuse. He starts to show that all people stand condemned. His creation, you can go back to Romans 15, can reveal to you that a God exists. You can look at the ocean and think, wow. You can look at the stars at night and think, wow. You can see any baby, and I'm not just talking about humans. I've heard Anna more than once at her grandpa's house when a calf is born. Oh, it's so cute. And if they stayed that size, I guarantee you, we'd probably have like five baby cows that are out because they're just, it's a mystery. How does it happen that one creature is able to replicate itself? We know the science behind, but the science doesn't explain the mystery. You, you go into your own, your cells and you go all the way to DNA and science says every person has a map. How? Every single person in the world has been given general revelation. The Bible makes it clear. 
The Bible doesn't say, which is my opinion, though, is how a person responds to this general revelation. I believe that God's character, that if a person somewhere in the middle of nowhere responds to that general revelation, he will get the specific revelation about who Christ is. That's the kind of God we serve. You hear it from missionaries all the time. They go to a tribal place and there's an elderly lady there that says, they're like, hey, how are you doing? Like, don't. Just tell me your message about God. I've been praying for God to send me a stories all over the place. This is why Paul was driven to Spain back to Romans 15. And he says, whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing to be helped on my way there. When I first enjoyed your company for a while, I love this idea. And Paul, if I look at if you're to ask me, like, you know, where to play a little game, you know, like where we can play a little if I was a psychologist, but I'm not a psychologist, but, well, but I'll pretend that I'm one. And we played a game where I, I just say names. And then you, you say the first word that you think of after Barnabas. First word that you think of. Courager. Paul. And I would say jerk. You know, to me, just joking. We have this big debate over John Mark and why he didn't let him go on the missionary journey. But the first word from Paul would not encourager doesn't come to my mind i think pioneer church planner zealous but when i follow him through acts he's a total encourager i lost my train of thought i know it was very important here oh yeah there there it is he says that when i come through i'm not just gonna like Stop in Rome. You guys give me a bunch of money so I can get on the next boat. He's like, I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to enjoy your company for a while. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, when it gets personal, it's what Anna used to have engraved on the inside of her engagement ring, but it's worn off. It says, for I long to see you, that that, that I would be a, a spiritual encouragement to you and that you would be a spiritual encourager to me. This is how our relationship should be, our marriages, our families, our relationship here at church and family. I have an obligation to encourage you with your walk with the Lord. You have you encourage me with my walk from the Lord. We build each other up. That's why this thing tonight, this Christ, this Thanksgiving celebration is just so wonderful. You can sit at a table with somebody that doesn't speak your language. Some of them speak very, very little English. They make me seem like I'm fluent in Spanish. But you know what is an international word? It's your smile. It's a hug, a handshake. You can do that. There's something about fellowship in Christ that's beautiful. And he says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem just serving the saints. He says, you know what? I want to go, but I have a previous engagement. I have an obligation. I have to do something. But when I'm done with this, I'll come to you. And he says, I'm going to go from, uh, I got to go from Corinth to Jerusalem. And then I'll go back. I keep thinking, why did Paul, if you turn the page in my Bible, in Romans 16, 1, he says, I command you, our sister Phoebe. We, what he's writing, this book of Romans, as soon as he's done with it, he's going to hand it to this girl, Phoebe, who we don't know much about her. She's going to take Paul's letter and she's going to hand carry it all the way to Rome to give to the saints. And I'm thinking, Rome is like on the way to Spain. Paul, you're a pioneer, an apostle to the Gentiles. Or you can carry a gift. We're going to see that there's this gift. Or you can be like a mule and carry a gift to Jerusalem. Just give Phoebe the money. You go to the more important job. See, that's me and my humanistic not thinking like Christ. But look what Paul says. He gives the letter to Phoebe. We're going to see that. But he says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's just to help you out here. One of the reasons why I think Paul wrote from Corinth, because Corinth is right here in Achaia. This northern section is Macedonia. So he says that these people gave a gift. He has it. Makes sense. If he's over in Ephesus, it would be a little bit. I mean, you could make it work. And I'm not like, I don't really care if you think he was writing from Ephesus. It really doesn't matter. I'll save that conversation for people that care. Um, And he says here. For Macedonia and Achaia, verse 26, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem, something was going on, a famine. There were believers there that were okay, but there were many who were poor. 
And these Gentile believers in these two areas in modern day Greece said, we have made a gift. We have these resources available to us. They could have been wealthy. Oftentimes it's not, I mean, they're very generous, wealthy people, but really the the people who give sacrificially, and we read this, we don't know their standing, but they knew Christ. They were overflowing with gratitude for what they had. And they said, we want to give to them because they're in need. And he says, look at the reason, this, this thinking. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. Why in the world would these believers up in Greece, these Gentile believers, be indebted to these, their Jewish counterparts who they've never met? They didn't know them. They had no relationship with them. They're just poor Christians in another part of the world. I'm sure they had poor among them. But look what Paul writes here. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them material things. If you turn back with me to Romans chapter 9, remember Paul's heart. His heartbreak for, the, for, his, for Israel, his fellow Israelites. Israelites That kind of came out, Israel. And, and Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 9, For I am telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, whom belong the adoptions as sons. He already said that the Gentiles have been adopted in, that they have all the inheritance that was due to the Jews. And he says they have rejected Christ, and this adoption belongs to them. They are legitimate heirs, but they've been excluded. Because they've rejected the Messiah. And the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Messiah or Christ according to the flesh who is overall God blessed be forever. Now going back to Romans chapter 15. They are not connected to the Jews by DNA at all. But there are Jews who are suffering, that are poor, that have trusted the Messiah. And they say, you know what? Our Messiah is Gentiles. It's Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Don't forget that. We have all kind of. He wasn't a Swedish guy with blonde hair that looked like Fabio going down the beat. He was a Jewish man. And he said that they're the ones who gave the Messiah. They're in need. We've benefited from their Messiah and that we have eternal life. We see them suffering. And so we want to give back and bless them because we can. It's beautiful. And then he says, therefore, when I finish this, verse 28, and I have put my seal on this fruit of theirs. Don't let that phrase slip past you. Paul was called as an apostle to reach the Gentiles. Why would God use Paul to reach the Gentiles? I would think, oh, he's a really strong Gentile. He's, he's pretty, you know, like he, he's in with them. He knows their language and culture, that sort of thing. No. Paul was his, we read it, a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. Like, like when you rank him amongst Jews, he's on the top of his class. What better person to graft in the Gentiles into Judaism than this guy that has a pedigree and scholarly background that was second to none in Judaism. And so here, as he's been reaching the Gentiles, which some of the Jews, I don't know so much even the believing Jews, I think it was the the Jews who weren't believers in Christ were so opposed to the gospel going to the Gentiles. And so Paul's out serving. His rumors are going out about him. They're saying all kinds of stuff. And so here he is, given his whole life so that all of these Gentiles in this region and this region, he wants to go over here. They've come to Christ. He started churches. They're growing in the Lord. Their maturity in Christ is now bubbling out with love with this gift. Paul wasn't just a messenger to bring this. His seal of, what does he say here? The seal on this fruit of theirs. Here comes Paul, the apostle of Jews. He got, I don't know how he's, I've got him with his pockets and money kind of spilling out, trying to hold it all down. He got all this change and money. 
shows up in Jerusalem to the believers, the Jewish believers there in Christ. And he says, you know what, guys? I have a gift. What? I got more. Look at all this. Shekels are coming out everywhere. Money's spilling out. He says, this is a gift from your brothers in Christ, the Gentiles in this region, because God loves them. And they're overflowing with his love. And they heard about your need. And they want to bless you with this. How powerful is that to bring unity within the body of Christ? This is why this thing tonight is so important. It's not just about ham and turkey. And I mean, all that stuff is very important to me. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think there's anything more beautiful that when we as a body of a church, both English and Spanish, come together and we worship the Lord together and we eat together and we love one another. And he says, when I come to you in the fullness of blessing in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the example, Lord, of um, Paul the Apostle. I thank you that his life and his passion is recorded here in the scriptures for us. I love that he writes, as I follow Christ, may you follow me in my example. Father, we pray that as we walk with you, Lord, that we would we would follow after you in a way that's pleasing to you, that those, the next generation, the children, those that are young in their faith, they would see us as people who love you. Father, we thank you for the love in our church. We thank you for the unity. We pray, Father, that um, that as we go about our, our lives, Lord, that you would help us to keep you close to our hearts, Lord, that we would hear your voice. Father, for the sin in our lives that breaks fellowship with you, we pray. Lord, that you would help us to deal with it, Lord. Our, our flesh can be strong at times. And so we thank you that we live in grace. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to be transformed by the grace that you've bestowed upon us. We pray for Lord, those, Lord, that maybe don't know you as Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would connect the dots in their lives. Answer the questions that they need answered so that they would come to know you as Savior, that they would walk with you and just love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.